So we're going to be starting a new series today in the book of Colossians. If you want, you can go on and turn there. We'll start in chapter 1, verse 1. There's a few things I do want to kind of let you know about. Um, one is we have Camp Refuge. It's for our students. Um, they're going to be heading out June 11th, so a couple of days. We're excited about the leaders and the students that are be going on this trip. It's a time of fellowship and, and worship and discipleship, but really just cultivating these young students um, to know and love God well. And so we're excited for them. We're praying for them. Um, we do have one need that we want to let you know about is one of the students does need a scholarship to be able to go on this trip. The scholarship need is $225. And the reason we tell you this is um, we believe it's such a good and healthy thing for us to let the church as a whole know when there's a need like this. Um, because we trust in a big and mighty God and we want to in faith put that out there to say, hey, here's a need. And if God is leading you or puts that desire or you're just looking for something um, to bless somebody with, then we want to let you know about those things. Um, the church has been so generous in your giving and your, your tithing and things like that. And we, we don't want you to interrupt that. We think God has been blessing that. And we've seen, those, we've seen that happen over the past few years for big time. But in this need right here, we want to let you know about this one student. If there's something God's laying on your heart to do, you can place your uh, scholarship, cash or check, in one of these envelopes. And you can mark it as designated unrestricted and just put Camp Refuge on there. We'll make sure that gets to that student so they'll be able to go. And again, they're going to be heading out June 11th. So be in prayer for them. Be in prayer for the leaders, safety, everything that's going to be happening for them as well. And then also something we try to do on a regular basis to let you guys know about the different ministries and teams that we have here at Solid Rock that pretty much make everything flow and work and happen. Uh, we can't do it all. And so God has blessed us with amazing volunteers and members who invest in the church by giving of their resources and their spiritual gifts and talents. And so what we want to share with you is highlight is the prayer team. The prayer team is a group of members here at Solid Rock, and they exist to bring God glory through prayer. They love to pray for the needs and the praises of our church. Um, they're faithful to be here in all three services. They're up here at the front and back on the prayer uh, counseling rooms over there to meet and pray with you guys, encourage you and love on you. But also we get prayer requests throughout the week as well. And so the prayer team makes sure that we know what those prayer requests are, that we're able to pray with them and to um, lift those things up to God. I also want to let you know about this next steps card. There's actually a spot for prayer requests. So maybe you didn't get a chance to come up here and pray with somebody, or maybe you just had to write it out. Um, you can put this in that brown box or hand it to one of our prayer partners, and we would love to be able to pray for you. We want you to know that that is a powerful ministry in our church, and it's not something that we think is a little. It is a big thing. Um, that group is led by one of our elders, Ken Forsyth, and um, they meet on a regular basis just praying, studying God's word, and, and lifting these things up in faith. And so we want to let you know about this, this ministry, these people that are serving and also let you know that we want to pray. We want to meet with you. We want to encourage you. And so we want you to know about those as well. And so with that in mind, you should be in the book of Colossians. And I want to start with a really big picture because I don't know about you guys. Um, seeing things as a story and seeing things as a big picture really helps me in the context. I really like knowing how everything connects. And so for me, that's one of the reasons I always like starting there because it's just helpful for me and I hope it's helpful for you. If we think back from the very beginning of Genesis that God has created everything and it was good. And then if we look a few chapters later in Genesis 3, we see that sin enters in 
through disobedience. And all of a sudden, what was good and perfect in God's kingdom has now been broken and marred because of a choice of Adam and Eve. And what we see what happens is, is this domain of darkness, um, Satan's, uh, Satan's world basically, of sin and suffering and death has now entered into a world that we did not know um, of those things. We didn't have knowledge of those things. And so now this has entered in and we have been subject to the domain of darkness, Satan's realm of sin and suffering and death. And it's not until we hear the good news of the gospel that we are freed and no longer slaves or um, submitted unto this domain, but then have been rescued and redeemed. And so that's the big picture. We see Genesis to Revelations, this big unfolding story of God taking what has been broken and pulling us out of it by the work of Jesus Christ. And so we see the story unfold. Um, all of this hinges on the fact that God is in the middle of everything. Um, he is the one who created. He is the one who is redeeming. It is his, his eternal kingdom that he was rescuing us out of the domain of darkness and into. And so when we really think about it, it has nothing to do with us as far as making anything change or happen within us. And we look at the book of Colossians and Paul's writing to this church and even though they're being very faithful and they can see this public faith, they can see their love for one another, this unity happening, there was things outside of the church that are trying to influence it. This domain of darkness and these bad teachings of thinking that Christ is good, yeah, but I still need some of these other things, some of these other religions, some of these other teachings, some of these other principles. Gnosticism was a big one that you had to have this special spiritual revelation or knowledge to make salvation actually work. And all of these thought processes lead us to think that Jesus is just not enough, that there has to be something more. And so when I think about this idea of having to modify the gospel, having to modify who Christ is to make him actually what we need him to be, um, when we say it out loud, it seems silly, but in our practical everyday life, we tend to do this. Um, I had a job in college that was, it was a great job. It paid for everything that I needed to pay for to go through school. There was this really irritating thing, though. My employer loved to modify everything. He wanted to modify policies, processes. When we'd buy him a new computer, he always wanted to modify it or different things around the house or different things that we did at this company. He was always having us modify them. And we spent so much time trying to make what somebody else designed do something more or different. And here's the term that we came up to is our job was to improve to failure. We worked on whatever thing he got or process or policy, and we kept tweaking and messing with it, trying to do something it wasn't designed to do, and we improved it to failure. It would always crash. It never worked well, and we would always have to go back to reset everything because it just wasn't how it was designed. And here's the funny thing is we would spend so much time on the phone with manufacturers of a car or an air conditioning unit or some sensor and saying, hey, we, your thing doesn't do this. And they'll say, yeah, we didn't design it that way. Well, we wanted to do that. And he goes, well, it's not designed that way. And we just go back and forth and all this time. And if we think about the gospel and the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross for us and resurrected from the dead, defeating sin and death. It's as ridiculous as us calling the manufacturer Jesus and saying, it's not enough. It needs more. 
And Jesus is looking at us going, no, it's sufficient. It's more than enough. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It doesn't need to be added onto. Nothing needs to be taken away from. And so this is what this letter is looking at. And as we go through this whole letter in the book of Colossians, you're going to see this come up. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's the gospel and what Christ did on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection, is how God is calling us unto himself. And the reason he's doing all this is to conform us out of this dark domain into the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul is encouraging the church at Colossians to, to rest in these truths. And I believe as a church and as individuals, we need to be reminded and rest of these truths just as much on an everyday basis. So join me in uh, chapter one, verse one. It starts off reading Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae grace to you and peace from God, our father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. See, he's already heard of them. Paul's in prison. He's actually never been to this church. This church was planted by someone else from Paul's ministry. But Paul's never been there. So Paul's hearing all the good things that are coming from them, their faithfulness, their love for one another. And Paul's encouraged and they're praying for him. But most of all, in that very first five verses, there is all, all, it's all about Jesus. It's God the Father, we thank you in the name of Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, Father, the Son. And we're seeing that it's not about the people at this church. Is essentially that we are talking about Praising God, starting with God, because everything begins and ends with Him. This designation was made all the time, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, placing Jesus and God the same. So when we talk about Jesus Christ and we talk about Him coming down from heaven, being sent by the Father to be our salvation, to bring us redemption on the cross, He is not a lesser God. He is not a lesser type or arc or picture or image of the Father. He is one and the same. So He is, by fact, being God, is not lacking in anything. We do not need to call the manufacturer and say there's something wrong. So as we continue to move forward and we think about this, nothing is getting done without or apart from who God is and who Jesus is. The faith and love for one another at the church of Colossae has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he does in our life and has absolutely nothing to do with them or us. So as we move forward in verse 6, they've heard of the word of the truth of the gospel This is the very thing that has changed their hearts because of Jesus coming down to them. And in verse six, it says, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. And it also does among since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So we see with this domain of darkness that has existed. However, for some reason, the gospel, Jesus defeating it. When the grace of God and truth is being believed in faith, it's now bearing fruit and increasing. 
the domain of darkness doesn't seem to have dominion like it used to, right? That should be really exciting to us because as believers, now we have faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer slave to sin. We are no longer submitted to death. We are now raised up in new life. And so when we walk, we walk in faith. And if we choose to walk in the domain of darkness, it is self-voluntary. It is not because we cannot. Um, We have been given the power to do so by the grace of God and his truth. And it's very important for us to look at the way Paul talks about this. He says, this fruit that is bearing and increasing in verse 6, he says, it did that because you understood it by the grace of God in truth. See, it's not backwards. We first believed in the grace of God in truth. Now, therefore, there is fruit being bared and it's increasing throughout the whole world. So often we get caught up in our moralistic, legalistic um, culture of just putting on what it looks like to be a Christian, hoping that it will produce fruit and change in our life. But God says, no, 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 it starts first with me, what I've done, the grace of God in truth. Bearing fruit doesn't come until you first come to that. Believe in faith. Believe in who Christ is. When we baptize, we ask those three questions. It's Jesus, the Son of God. Is he lesser than or is he perfect? He is perfect. Did he come to bury, uh, to die and bury and resurrect from the dead, defeating sin and death? Yes, I believe that. And is there any other way to heaven or earth or to heaven or have a relationship with him? No, it's Jesus Christ and faith alone in him. So we see the grace of God and truth bearing fruit for the believers all across the world. In verse 7, it says, just as you learned from Epaphras, which we believe is the one who helped start this church, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Church, it's about God. And we are saved by grace and sanctified through the work of redemption. We stand before God fully justified, saved, set apart, holy as if we have never sinned. When we take on salvation, when we take on the work of the cross, when we take on that redemption that Jesus gives us by faith. But we are still sinners. We are in process of sanctification that is happening over and over again. And God is making us into his image. And so to be filled with the knowledge means that we are not completely already filled. It is happening. And so it means that our understanding is not complete, but we are fully justified. So this isn't about personal impressions or feeling, but a deep knowledge of the will of God that is complete and final that is in his word. And so when we think about this happening is that when we talk about having a relationship with Christ is important. That's what we're talking about. This knowledge is intimate knowledge, a relationship of understanding his word, his nature, his holiness. Paul references this in a letter to Galatians in chapter three, verse two. And he's like, let me ask you only this. Do you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He continues to press into him. He's like, do you suffer so many vain things? Or does he who supplies the spirit to you work miracles among you? So by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith. 
He's like, don't get this messed up and don't get this confused. Your good works mean nothing. Grace and truth and faith in Jesus Christ, which is where the heart changes, is the only way we're able to produce fruit and to see it increase and have effect in the whole world. Um, one of the things I love uh, that God has called us to be able to do biblical counseling here at Solid Rock, to meet with people and just have relational conversations about Jesus and what it means to let him have whole control of our lives. Um, one of the things that we see over and over again is uh, Paul Tripp. Um, he's one of these counseling guys. I use his illustration a lot is um, he uses the heart um, like the root of a tree. So if I have cherry roots, what kind of tree will it be? Awesome. And if I take all the cherries off and put apples on it, next year when it bears fruit again, it's going to be smart people. <laughs> smart people. And if so, if the heart represents the root or the fruit of things that I bear in my life, it doesn't make sense for me to staple on holiness, legalism, morality, false humility, the pretend nature of holiness. Because guess what? It won't be next year. It'll probably be in the next moment, the next day, the next week. The 10,000 moments we have every day where the fruit of our heart actually really gets exposed. And so it doesn't make sense for me to paint on the image of Christ and it doesn't make sense for me to look and act holy because inside my heart is still destroyed by sin. It is only through the grace of God and truth that we are able to be saved by grace. And even still, he's constantly filling us up with the knowledge of who he is in a personal relationship and he is transforming us and sanctifying us. So here's what it looks like in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is what we're wanting, a manner worthy of the Lord. So if we're going to please God by bearing fruit, this has to come from a heart change because I can't walk in a manner worthy of the Lord on my own. I cannot be fully pleasing. I cannot produce good fruit. We just prove that and increase in the knowledge. And it has to be more than just an understanding of God in an intellectual sense because there's a lot of people who've read the Bible. There's a lot of people who know who God is. We also know that there will be a time where God will turn some people away and they'll say, but I said, Lord, and he's like, I don't know you. So spiritual fruit is the byproducts of a righteous life that comes only from knowing God. So for us to increase in understanding of God and know the nature of him, we must by faith place our, tr faith, place our faith and trust in him and who he said, which means his word and his Holy Spirit. And give ourselves to him while allowing the domain of darkness, the sin in our lives to be put to death. It's time for us not to play around with that anymore. Because it only breeds destruction. We're not immune to it now because we're Christians. Sin breeds destruction. And it, will come, it won't be just kept inside of us. It, it ripples out into our family. It ripples out into our employers, family, driving on the road. Spiritual fruit is that byproduct. We see that in Galatians 5 where it talks about love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Am I describing your parenting life? 
Let that wash over you for a moment, right? Am I talking about our marriage, our friendships, our employee-employer relationships? How about this? Us as the believers to the lost world? Those things can only be produced when Christ has effectively changed the roots of our heart. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about this, and he says, And we all, believers, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit, not you, not me. So how does this happen in verse 11? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So the walking worthy of the manner, bearing fruit and seeing all these things come from a changed life comes how? Not from me, but from the glorious might of the Father in his power. But it also says for endurance and patience, which means it's not instantaneous. We just talked about how it's still being filled, it's still being sanctified, it's still coming about. And so it's not one thing where you praise God and say, I want you to be my Father and Savior, and then all of a sudden you're now holy and no longer uh, able to sin. Um, thinking about like driving and somebody cuts you off and you're just driving along. And your friend's next to you going like, does this bother you? Like you're not angry? And I'm like, no. I have Jesus, I'm sanctified. But we're still praying for you to get there, buddy. <laughs> but we get so frustrated because it's not instantaneous, right? Sometimes we get so tired of dealing and walking in the domain of darkness and it becomes burdensome and it becomes heavy. And we just talked about the spiritual fruits of how, as a church, and rooted in love, those things are to help divide the heartache and multiply the joy. And so we see this happening where we're being sanctified and God's saying, hey, I'm going to give you the endurance and I'm giving you the patience with joy, but just know it's going to be a process and I'm doing something good. So the power we need to bear fruit and grow in the knowledge of him comes from his glorious might. It is not our job to muster this up and put on our bootstraps and say, I'm going to do this today. It is for us to submit our heart to the only one who can do this. And here's the thing, folks, it's not once a week, it's not even just once a day, it is a constant state of submission in the 10,000 moments we have in our thought life, in our world, every single day. God doesn't want part of us, he wants all of us. And by dying on the cross, he has earned that right to claim us for himself. So when the Bible says that it's all about Jesus, all the glory, all the honor, all that stuff, it's his because he rightfully owns it and is declared worthy. Um, some of you have heard my story. Um, I grew up in the church, and for the longest time I understood salvation and the gospel for that one moment in my life. For me, that was 25 years ago. Resting on that one moment for my sanctification was the worst thing I ever did in my whole entire life. I was having to put on those things we told, just talked about, the fruit of the Spirit. I was having to paste that on myself, and it didn't make me feel any better. It made me look better. You know, people were able to kind of deal with me, you know, and live life among me. But I was miserable. There was anxiety and despair. And it wasn't until, like, when I first received Christ that I said, God, this is all of me. 
This is the ugly stuff that I keep trying to hide and trying to deal with myself and start confessing to him and to my brothers that I kept trying to hide it from and receive that same grace and forgiveness he gave me when I was seven years old, even today. And recognize that it's not me that can put it to death, but it's only him that can put it to death. And he didn't even design me to put it to death with him alone. He did it for us to do it together. And so all of these things are being done because God is, it's all about him. His gospel is to redeem us so that we may be conformed into the image of a son being transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. Paul tells us again in verse 12, giving thanks to the father because we haven't stepped away from the fact that it's all about him who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You see that contrast again of darkness and light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in which everything is about. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it is free for us to have, to enjoy, to embrace to benefit from. All it requires is for us to just lay it down and say, I submit everything to you. In faith, I believe. There's nothing we can do because it says he's the one who qualified us. The inheritance of his kingdom of saints in the light, he's the one who delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And in whom, Jesus, we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. We are rescued from the domain of darkness because of Jesus and because of what he has done and for his glory. It is a miraculous act that we are redeemed and rescued. It is an act of God. There is nothing we can do as behavior modification that can change that. It's not my analogy, but it is true in my story. I have a wonderfully green grass yard. And it's wonderfully green because it is full of green weeds. <laughs> you laugh, but when it's mowed and edged, right, it looks good. It looks really good. And the best thing is I don't have to water it. I have nothing in stake at, in it, really, other than I just have to mow it. And there's something really satisfying about looking at a really nice, clean yard. You can kind of just sit there and take it in. But the problem is, with weeds, after about a day or a rain, they pop back up. And then it looks like a weedy yard. And it doesn't look good anymore. So you're constantly having to keep it mowed down to keep up the appearance of a green yard. Right? You following? You're tracking with me? So in our backyard where our kids have wreaked havoc, there are no, <laughs> there's no grass and the trees are not allowing sunlight in. And so my wife and I and the kids, because they're part of the family, started cutting the trees back, getting light to it. We tore up all the dirt, raked it all by hand and got all the junk out of it, bagged it up. It was like, I don't know, we gave them like a dollar a bag. There was like 10 or 12 bags of, you know, just dirt and mulch and grass clippings. And, uh, and so we started doing that, and then we started breaking the ground up, preparing it for the seeds. <clears throat> Long story short, we seeded it, we watered it, we nurtured it, waiting for it to take root. 
And when we protected it also, because if I let my kids back out there, they would have tore up all the seeds because they like to dig. And so the grass grew, it took root, and now it's healthy and it's strong and it's upholding the, the wear and tear of my kids, but it still needs maintenance. It still needs someone to care for it and overlook it. And folks, that's us. When we were first saved, we were like the grass seedling and we needed the milk. We needed to be helped and taught. But some of us have been Christians for a long time and we're still the little grass seedlings. And we're not stepping into the faith that redemption and sanctification is something that God is still doing in us. And we need to be pressing into him, pressing into his word, pressing into prayer, pressing into biblical community, pressing into transparency and confession so that we're not the little seedling that gets just destroyed when the domain of darkness presses up against us, but endurance and in faith by the power of the might, his glorious might, we be sustained. Because what he's not finished with yet, he will be faithful to complete. So this is this picture that he's telling the Colossian church. We're not done yet. Keep pressing forward. All these false teachings, they're not just back then. We do it all the time. So-and-so's family is so good. I wonder if I can learn how to make my kids act that way. Or so-and-so, their marriage looks so good. Or so-and-so just, he's always praying. How can I mimic that? Folks, that's painting and putting fruit on. And it's just going to fall off. It's not change. The change has to be rooted in the heart. And the only one who has that right and ability is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And we just have to believe in faith. And he's faithful and just to do what he said he would do. And we would have the redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So let's not forget that. At this time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. And as we're doing this, just remember that transformation happens when we encounter and experience a holy God. And now that transformation is when fruit is being bared. We have been rescued. We have been adopted. And the cool part about that is that we are no longer citizens of this world. We're now citizens of an eternal kingdom. And so just like my illustration with my job is calling the manufacturer saying, hey, this isn't good enough. What we need to do is press in to the manufacturer and realize how good it really is. And when we do that, it totally transforms our heart to not be so self-centered and self-protective and loving for ourselves because that creates just ungratefulness and just anger within our hearts. But when we press in and we see God's big view of redemption, we are filled with gratitude. We are filled with his perspective and it is like nothing in this world. And that's a good thing. So maybe you're here today and you've never experienced faith and salvation ever in your life. That's okay. Our prayer partners that we talked about, they're going to be up front. They're going to be at the back. They want to meet and pray with you. We want to do this with you. Or maybe you're like what I was just talking about is you're not sure how the sanctification and redemption happens. Or maybe you're not sure how to do it. Or maybe you've just been pressing against God saying, I don't want to do it that way because it doesn't look the way I want it to be. Maybe the Holy Spirit's laying out on your heart to lay some of that stuff down and fully trust that what Christ has done is good and enough and more than enough. So let's pray and let's respond to the Father.
<clears throat> Lord, we love you. Not well and not perfect. Father, the fact that our hearts are in need of redemption is why we need you. Father, we are here and there are many of us who have been adding on to our practical theology of how we live out our everyday life because we have not believed completely that you are more than enough, that you are sufficient, that you are perfect and beautiful and holy. And I pray today, Lord, that we would give our hearts over to trust and believe in that every single day, moment by moment. And trust that, Lord, even though it may not be perfect in us, that you're not done with us, that you're still steadfast in your love and your covenant to completely redeem us. Father, although we may not fully know that on this side of eternity, one day every knee will bow and tongue, will confess that you are Lord, and we will know it completely for all eternity. So Lord, we place our faith and our trust in that truth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.